Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Today, we continue on in our series, The Fullness of Life, where Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or as it says in the ESV, an abundant life. That is God's intention for every single one of his children. And so far we have looked at the key elements of the fullness of life. Number one being abiding in Christ. That's where it starts. He is the vine. We are the branches. He produces fruit through us, which led to the segment that talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And then last week we started a new segment of the series that has to do with the gifts of the Spirit. And this is a subject that is so important. It is covered in 155 verses in the Scriptures. And the Apostle Paul takes three whole chapters right in the heart of 1 Corinthians to talk about it, chapters 12 through 14. Why? Because we will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. I want to say that again. We will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. That is true for us as individuals, and it is also true for us as a church. Spiritual gifts are absolutely a key element in living the full or abundant life. And so last week, we defined spiritual gifts like this. Um, Spiritual gifts are special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve others for the glory of God. Special abilities imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to serve others for the glory of God. And when they are exercised appropriately, according to the instructions given in Scripture, this is what happens. God is glorified. He's made famous. His name is front and center. The church is edified or built up. We are stronger as we exercise our spiritual gifts. Good triumphs over evil. Wouldn't that be awesome, right? And then lastly, believers live full or abundant lives. That's how it's supposed to work. But as we have seen, that's not how it was working in the first century church at Corinth. Because you see, there, in the name of spiritual gifts... People were seeking ecstatic, dramatic experiences, drawing attention to themselves, and ultimately bringing division to the body of Christ. That made it weaker. It had the opposite effect of what it was supposed to have. And you will notice that, thankfully, the typo from last week from this slide has been corrected, okay? So, in light of this unhealthy exercise of spiritual gifts at Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote... 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. That is the setting. And he gave to us two tests to determine the validity of spiritual gifts and spiritual experience. First, the first test was a negative one. And it asked the question, is it consistent with Scripture? Because you see, any experience that we have that does not align with Scripture is not from God. No matter how warm and fuzzy it is, no matter how impressive it is, if it doesn't align with Scripture, it's not from God. 
And we must always interpret our experiences through the lens of Scripture and not the other way around. Next, Paul gave him a positive test, and that test was, does it glorify Jesus? Again, does it draw attention to him? Is he made famous, or are people more impressed with us than with him? And I think it's important to note that these same two questions are every bit as relevant for us today. They are questions that we need to come back to time and time again. It's amazing and wonderful how Scripture from way back then matters and is useful to us today. Which brings us to today's text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me as I read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, you have much to teach us, beginning with me, in the realm of spiritual gifts. And so today we come to you as eager learners, as those who are eager to make your name famous, as those who are eager to live the fullness of life that you intend for your children, specifically today as it relates to spiritual gifts. So God, would you help me to speak clearly, accurately, and by the Holy Spirit powerfully, and would you give all of us, God, the ability to hear your Spirit's voice and to do exactly what it is that you lead us to do. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So this is a short but power-packed passage. There is a lot here for us to dig into, and in it we're going to see three truths about spiritual gifts. Three truths about spiritual gifts. Last week, we had spiritual gifts defined. Today, it's really about spiritual gifts described. There's going to be some descriptors which help us to better grasp and understand their nature. And so the first truth in this passage that describes spiritual gifts is there is much variety. There is much variety. Variety, And so let's, let's look at these verses again, but let's look at them as a unit, as a unit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So you get the idea that Paul wants to emphasize the fact that there are varieties. There are varieties. Why do you think that is? Think about Corinth. Think about the church and their struggles. Why does Paul go out of his way to communicate to them, hey, church, there's a whole bunch of different gifts? Well, because at Corinth, there was an overemphasis on just a few gifts. At Corinth, there was an overemphasis on just a few gifts, and especially these demonstrative, ecstatic, dramatic gifts. All of the attention was being placed on those, and chapter 14 would seem to indicate that there was especially an overemphasis on the gift of tongues. Thus, Paul goes out of his way to stress to the church the variety of spiritual gifts. And one thing that becomes clear from both Scripture and nature is God loves variety, does He not? God loves variety. I mean, look at our seasons here in northern Michigan. You talk about variety. I was just talking with someone this week. We're looking at vehicles out on Lake Cadillac, right? 
um, ice shanties, and to think that in just a few months, some of you will be out there swimming in that water. I mean, you talk about variety, but even more, the fact that there are 100 billion with a B stars in our Milky Way galaxy. Billion with a B, our sun is one of them making it staggering to think of all the other solar systems and planets and moons that are out there. Clearly, God loves variety. Now, why did God go through all the trouble of making such an expansive universe? Again, I think to demonstrate His glory, which He does through variety. Next, we see God's love for variety in the ocean. Have you ever done any scuba diving in the ocean? I keep wondering if I really want to do that. Sometimes I think I want to, but then I think better of it. But anyway, there are 28,000 known species of fish in the ocean. Why? Because God loves variety. We see God's love for variety in the fact that there are somewhere between nine and 10,000 species of birds, all with their own song, because God loves variety. And then there's the variety in the plant world, 391,000 different species of plants because God loves variety. And finally, to the terror of many of you, there are even 35,000 named species of spiders, as if one would not be terrifying enough, right? And then one day in heaven, it says this, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number all the same, right? No, not even. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Why? Because God loves variety. And that is absolutely true in regard to our spiritual gifts. As God has created a great variety of stars and fish and birds and plants and spiders, so He has also created a great variety of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Last week, we used the illustration of my favorite childhood cartoon, right? The Super Friends. And again, the point of this is the variety of superpowers and the variety of the roles that they play, all for a common cause. And so it is to be in the body of Christ, a great variety of gifts and roles to play. And so Paul communicates this in today's passage by using three different words to describe the nature of spiritual gifts. And these three words each tell us something important about spiritual gifts. So let's take a look at the text as a unit again. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So we have gifts, service, activities, each of these words telling us something unique and important about spiritual gifts. So let's take a look at each one of them for a moment. First of all, gifts from the Greek charismata, which literally means a love gift. All right, The root of charismata is charis, from which we get our word grace, by which we are saved through faith as a free gift. And so this one word, charismata, it actually tells us a lot about spiritual gifts. First, it teaches us that they are not earned. Our spiritual gifts are not earned. They are not at all like uh, scout badges, right? It's not like you perform certain tasks and achieve certain things and are awarded accordingly so you don't earn the prophecy badge, you don't earn the healing badge or the tongues or helps or administration or teaching badge. Why? Because they are charismata. They're gifts of God's grace. 
So you don't get to choose your gift. The second thing we learn from the word gifts is that they are to be received with joy. They are to be received with joy. For they are, in fact, now think about this for a minute. Your spiritual gifts are love gifts from the Father to you. Therefore, we should not despise the gifts that we have been given, nor should we be envious of the gifts that other have been, others have been given. We should not elevate one gift over another as if one is better than another. How could we say that when the gifts that we have been given have been specifically selected by our loving Heavenly Father to give to us? How ungrateful that would be. For, for those of you who have had young chair, children, um, we've all, we probably all had one of those cringe-worthy moments where um, our kids do not a- respond appropriately to a gift that they have been given. Have you been there? They're like toddlers, and they just don't know better at that point. And they're, you know, maybe it's a grandparent or someone has given them this wonderful, thoughtful gift, and they just kind of turn up their nose at it um, un- or ungratefully toss it aside. We've been there. That's what was going on in Corinth. That was what was happening at the church there. Certain gifts were elevated above others, and certain gifts were tossed aside and unappreciated. People despised gifts that they had been given by the Father out of love. The fact that spiritual gifts are, in fact, love gifts from God means that we should receive the gifts that we have been given with great appreciation and great joy. The third thing we learn about these gifts is um, everybody gets at least one. Everybody You, me, even people in the balcony, they get one. (laughs) Look at verse 7. To each is given. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, that's you, that's me. All of us believers have been given these wonderful love gifts from God, which I find to be really humbling and exciting. Your life purpose undoubtedly is tied to the gifts that you have been given from God. So they are charismata. There's a lot, again, to glean from that one word. They are gifts. The next word that Paul uses to describe the gifts is in verse 5. He says, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Gifts in verse 4, service in verse 5. This word service comes from the Greek diakonia, from which we get what word? Deacon. Deacon, right? Because deacons are all about service, ministry, all right? Deacons are literally those who serve, which tells us some important things, again, about the nature of spiritual gifts. First, they are to be used to serve others and not ourselves. They are to be used to serve others, not ourselves. Just as Jesus said of himself in Mark 10, 45, he said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as we follow the way of Jesus, we are instructed in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, and you have, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, one thing about acts of service, and unfortunately I've been in this category before, you can serve, but do it with the wrong attitude, can't you? Even in service, we can desire to be elevated, and recognized, and applauded, or just to serve out of obligation, or what's in it for me, that's not at all what the scriptures have in mind when it comes to serving using our spiritual gifts. We have to do it with the right attitude. So the second thing we learn is 
They are to be exercised with an attitude of servanthood. They are to be exercised with an attitude of servanthood. Again, it's not just about what you do, but how you do it and the motive behind what you do. So it's interesting, and we'll get there eventually, but that's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? 12, we're talking about spiritual gifts. 13, it talks about love. We love to talk about the love chapter at weddings and to quote it, and, and that's fine, but in context, the love chapter is about what? The exercise of spiritual gifts. It's about this whole second point there to be exercised with an attitude of servanthood. So the third point or the third word that Paul uses to describe spiritual gifts is in verse 6. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So we had gifts in verse 4, service in verse 5, activities in verse 6. But that word activities, I'm wondering if there might be a better word to translate it because the Greek there is energema, energema, from which we get our English word energy, right? Energy. And that's where I get really excited because it speaks of the fact that these activities, these spiritual gifts are empowered, they are energized by God Almighty. The same God who created the universe in all of its variety. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead. The same God who tells every lightning bolt where it should go as the song goes. Talk about energy, right? He is the power source behind our spiritual gifts. And Paul uses this word energema to describe what these gifts are like. So that should have a profound influence on how we view the potential of these gifts and all that God would desire to accomplish in us and through us with the gifts. For the truth of the matter is that our spiritual gifts, these activities, they go beyond what is natural to the supernatural. They go beyond what is natural to the supernatural because it's not us in the natural, in the flesh, who are doing these things as if we just use natural abilities. No, these are gifts given to us from God that are empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. How do I know? Because they are energema, empowered by God Almighty. So that is the first truth that Paul gives in these verses regarding spiritual gifts. There is much variety as evidenced by their description as gifts, service, and activities in verses 4 through 6. The second truth about spiritual gifts in this passage is there is much variety meant to operate in unity. There is much variety meant to operate in unity. The, the gifts are not meant to be exercised in isolation in an individualistic manner. Rather, they are to be exercised in beautiful harmony, just like a symphony. Just like a symphony, where a variety of instruments and musicians and parts come together in unity to create a beautiful masterpiece. It's a picture of the church. The focus is not on any one musician or instrument. The focus is on the whole, the product, what happens together, and every unique part matters. Reminding us that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. The goal is not for everyone to play the same instrument and to play the same part. That would be boring. 
The goal is for there to be a wide variety of instruments in the symphony, a wide variety of parts that come together in harmony to create something beautiful. The job of the church is not to squeeze you into a generic mold where everyone is the same. Rather, it is the job of the church to help you discover how God has uniquely created you and gifted you to help you be who you are to the fullest by the grace of God. Just like in football, um, which I think is perhaps the ultimate team sport. Now, why do I say that? Because of the high level of specialization in each individual position and how that high level of specialization must unite for there to be success, must unite for there to be victory. Think about the difference between a linebacker and a kicker, right? Very different. Think about the difference between the holder on a field goal and the long snapper, very specialized, very different. But if any one of them fails to do their job, that the team fails, the play fails. And so I, I think football in some ways is the ultimate team sport and a beautiful illustration, again, of what spiritual gifts are to be like in the body of Christ. Look at, look at the offense of a football team. You've got wide receivers. You've got offensive tackles and guards, a center. You've got a running back. You've got a quarterback. And each one, I mean, they have even different body types and skill sets, and, but they all matter. And if any one of them fails to do their job, the team will fail. Same on defense, where you have safeties, and you have cornerbacks, and you have linebackers, and you have defensive linemen, each uniquely gifted with their own unique role to play, and they all have to come together for the team to succeed. Just as it says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good. For the good of the whole church. That, that old cliche it proves true. There is no I in team. There's no I in church. Is there? No. There, there, okay. Just kind of, I wanted to make sure. I made that up on the spot. Um, so in the symphony, don't despise the fact that you're not the first trumpet or the first violinist. And in the case of the football team, don't despise the fact that you are not the quarterback or the running back. Or in the case of the church, don't despise the fact that you don't have certain spiritual gifts that others have. Rather, use the gift that you have been given to the fullest for the potential good, the common good of the body of Christ. For then you will experience God's blessing and fullness of life. So this leads to the third truth that Paul teaches us about spiritual gifts. There is much variety meant to operate in unity like the Trinity. Like the Trinity. Did you, did you see the Trinitarian reference there in the, the Scripture? Look with me again at the passage as a unit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of, of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. We've got Spirit, Lord, God. And as you look through the Scriptures, there are consistent ways these terms are used. Um, as Paul drives home the point about spiritual gifts being exercised as unity and diversity, um, we see the Trinity in action here. First of all, Spirit. Now, that one's easy. That is a reference to God the Spirit in verse 4. But then we've got Lord in verse 5, and consistently in the New Testament, when that word Lord is used, it is a reference to God the Son. And then in verse 6, when it says God, it consistently is a reference to God the Father. Spirit, Son, Father. The point Paul is making is this. The persons of God are many, 
yet there is one God. The Trinity is a tri-unity, one God and three persons. The ultimate unity in diversity, and again, it's a marvelous God-sized mystery how that actually works. If you ever think that you have an illustration that describes the Trinity, it's heresy because there is no way to actually describe it. But likewise, the gifts of God are many, yet they are from one God. The gifts of God are many, yet they are from one God. Again, unity and diversity, just like the Trinity. And so as the church exercises the wide variety of spiritual gifts in unity, it becomes a picture of the Trinity, that unity and diversity that exists in the very personhood of God, which is why Paul goes so far to say in verse 7, and I love this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit. Um, that word manifestation comes from the Greek phanerosis, which means to make known, to make known, to make visible. And so the point is this, as the church exercises its variety of gifts in unity, it literally becomes a picture of the Trinity and it makes God visible for the world to see. Isn't that beautiful? The tragedy at Corinth was this. As the church at Corinth created division by overly emphasizing certain spiritual gifts, it gave a distorted view of the Trinity. So instead of there being this beautiful unity among, among diversity, there was division, there was elevation, there was unappreciation for the gifts that God had given. God was not manifest. He was not made known. He was not made visible, or at least the way that they were making him visible was heretical. It wasn't truly how God is. That was an epic fail by the church at Corinth. So, the three truths about spiritual gifts, there is much variety meant to operate in unity like the Trinity. So let's move briefly into application. How should we then live? And I confess to you that these three action points are probably going to frustrate some of you because you may need more information and more time as we go on this journey together through this passage to put it into practice, okay? So what I'm about to share with you might be more of a goal for the series than it is something that you're going to be able to implement today. So I get that. Don't get frustrated. We'll continue this together, and Lord willing, when we get to the end of the series, we'll be able to do each of these action steps. But the first action step is open your gift or gifts. Now, why do I put S in parentheses? Because it's probable, if not likely, that God has given to you more than one spiritual gift. But the whole idea, open your gifts. Some of you have already done this, and um, I've had the opportunity to meet with some of you after our network class and to talk about coaching and next steps, and you're already there. You know your gifts, you're operating in them, and you're good to go. Others of you have not yet done this. You've not yet opened your gifts, maybe because you didn't even know you had any. This is new to you. And so it's like, wow, I got gifts. I want to open them. Okay. But maybe some of you, you've known this for some time, but you've been neglectful of your gifts. You've been neglectful in opening them. Or maybe some of you have been fearful. It's like, ah, I don't really want to go there. 
because I want to kind of be in control of my life, and I want to be in control of what I do. And if I open this gift, it might mean that God is the one setting the agenda, that God is the one in control. But either way, the place where this all begins is in opening your gifts. And so my prayer is that throughout the series and beyond, more and more of you will be opening more and more gifts and will be putting them into practice. Number two, Thank God for your gift or gifts. And you know, you can actually do this step even without knowing what your gifts are. All right? You can kind of step out in faith and say, God, I don't yet know what my gifts are. I don't even know quite how to open them yet, but I thank you. I thank you that you have given to me charismata these wonderful love gifts, because you, my Father, knew what would be best for me and how I can best glorify you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for the gifts that you've been given to me, even though I may not know exactly what they are today. These gifts are not to be ignored. They are not to be neglected, and they are not to be despised. Rather, they are to be appreciated, received with great joy and anticipation. And then third... After you open your gifts, you thank God for your gifts, you've got to get busy exercising the gifts. Gifts that you open, I mean, I think about a kid at Christmas opening a, a toy. You know, the whole point of the toy and the gift is to use it, right? To get busy, to play with it. And again, I don't want to make spiritual gifts like a toy and trivial, but we've seen that that's not the case. But the point of the matter is, when you open a gift, it's meant to be used in service to others with an attitude of servanthood and the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God Almighty. And so as I mentioned earlier, I believe these things for many of you will happen gradually as we continue on this journey in this series. And so would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, I pray that this morning as we even consider the variety of your creation and the variety of spiritual gifts, that we would just marvel at who you are. It would cause us to worship you more deeply to just bow our knee before you in adoration and in wonder of our mighty God who has gone so far as to save us and then give us gifts. To save us and to give us gifts. The greatest gift of all is certainly Jesus, but you didn't stop there. You kept giving and you keep giving and you've given us these spiritual gifts for our good and for your glory. And so, God, I do pray for every single person who is able to hear me today that you would continue to reveal to them the gifts that you have given to them. God, would you continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us individually and collectively as a church that we might operate not in the natural, not in the flesh, but that we would operate in the spirit and in the supernatural. We long for you to come and move mightily upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.